Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast, where every week, Danny and Mauda Vega discuss topics that help families live a healthy and active lifestyle with their little ones, including nutrition and training, peaceful parenting, education, and mindset. To stay up to date, make sure to hit subscribe on this podcast and check out the blog at www.fatfuel.family. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram at dannyvega.ms, at fatfueledmom, and at fatfueledkids, and fatfueledfamily on YouTube. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Vega, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Maura. How are you, my love? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. We have an awesome guest today, someone I've known for, let's see, 15 years. Uh, no, no. What am I saying? More than 20 15, years. 15, yeah. 21 years. I was like, our kid is 10. 21 years. Uh, That's crazy. I've known him, and he's a great dude, and he just gets it, man. He just, um, he just. He's all about simplifying, and I just think he's his content is awesome. Uh, so Drew, Drew Beamer is a former Division I football player, Division I USA rugby player, and amateur strongman. He currently works as a public affairs contractor in New Hampshire. Uh, in 1999, he was first-team All-State tight end and helped block for the 1,000-yard rusher, Danny Vega. You can find him on Instagram at Condition1, that's Condition, W-O-N, like one, um, and we had just a fantastic conversation with him from everything ranging from nutrition to training to becoming harder to kill. Um, so I think you guys are really going to enjoy this and, uh, we hope you like it. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody. I just wanted to take a quick minute to talk about our sponsor keto brick. As you guys know, I have been around since the very beginning when it was just an idea, when Robert was getting ready for the show that took him pro and he needed something to help him hit his macros. And I've seen it grow into the company it is today. Um, just so proud of my friend and I'm so proud of the company he's built, the people he's been able to help as he has several people who work for them. And so he's actually helping people make a living doing this now, which is just unbelievable and so inspirational to me. If you don't know what keto bricks are, they are shelf-stable fat bombs, for lack of a better term. They are 1,000-calorie bricks, and they have great ingredients. They have ketogenic macros, usually like 88 to 90 grams of fat with 30 grams of protein, and then the carbs are anywhere from 9 to 14. Super low-carb, super keto-friendly, and you can do all types of cool stuff with them. I tell everybody my favorite is keto brick cereal. I chop it up into little chunks and serve it with a bowl of cereal with uh, almond milk or goat milk, which is my favorite. They have several flavors. They now have vegan and whey options. So they have the whey protein peanut butter as well as the old school pea protein peanut butter, which either one of them is easily in my top two go back and forth between those and the toasted almond coconut so definitely go to www.ketobrick.com get yourself some bricks and use vega for a chance to win a whole month supply of bricks what's up buddy you got some nice flannel there thank you just got done, <laughs> just got done clearing my driveway <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. i can't imagine how bad oh, wow. it is up there because you're in new hampshire right oh yeah yeah oh wow oh, my gosh it's, if it's bad in jersey i can't it's imagine literally that. like let me see it was cold for like three days and today it's 84 that's incredible it's hot well yeah. now that i know i can do business all via zoom 
I think I might be joining y'all in Florida before too long. Probably a little further south, maybe Marathon or Key West. Ooh. Dude, that's awesome. The only thing I'll We're tell you- We're from Miami, so- Dude, if you go to Marathon, like you really got to find a way to, like you got to think about food. You got to think about, because like down there, things are like- Marathon, you think? Yeah. I feel like they've developed a lot of that. Maybe not Marathon. Well, but Key West living, I mean, I get it. Key West is the best. I mean, it's freaking awesome, but like you have to have- yeah, I don't even know how you would you you really have to make sure that you 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 have the ability to get food in and out of there. Um and dude, like hurricane season, like they'll they'll close things down and it's just but I get it, man. I get Key West living. But like Yeah, I get it. It's even so nice if you do it. your your consulting work, you don't have to be in the state. Like for example, if you're doing something in your state, you don't have to be in the state, right? I, some of the time, some of the time. Okay. So like, but you could, you could live somewhere else yeah. and potentially fly there. Yeah, of course I'm half kidding here. I mean, I'm probably going to be stuck to New Hampshire for a while now, but I've been to the Keys a couple times um, and I love it. I've never been there during a hurricane. So I have a feeling <laughs> yeah, that I would have a, uh, a fallback point in New Hampshire for hurricane season for sure. That's true. Yeah, you don't want to be down there during hurricane season. <laughs> Dude, I, honestly, like, and it's, it's funny so because nice. for us, like, we're moving not not towards New Hampshire. We want to stay in Florida, but, like, kind of our plan, and actually we have a, a guest coming on who's a financial planner guy because um, I want to run these ideas by him. Oh, we yeah. have a plan to get land here, and we got all these things that we want to do and just kind of just become more and more independent. You know, you know how it goes, bro. You, you yeah. know, we've had these conversations. Yeah. Drew, Drew's in the only, well, if Texas puts it to a vote and it actually goes through, then there will be two states who will at least have the option to secede. Because if I'm not mistaken, the, the, um, the way the law's written, okay, New, Hampshire New Hampshire is the only state in the union that can secede or revolt have, against the union <laughs> there's a right a right to revolution in our state constitution <laughs> yeah yeah i'd love to see that hold up in federal court but yes in the state constitution yeah. there is a right yeah, to yeah. to revolt against the government so um i'm sure it, it, hey it worked out for wesley snipes <laughs> <laughs> he tried to use i think he tried to use the 14th amendment which i mean is constitutionally sound but i mean no not it, that's not how it works. It's not like we're a nation of laws. It's not how things work. Anyway, let's get this. But we have considered. We a... we did consider maybe. I don't know that I could do it long term because I'm like always freezing. <laughs> but we have considered living somewhere rough and cold. By rough, I mean cold, just because of the boys. Kind of as a t- a way to to make them stronger. Like I feel like it's hard. Yeah, dealing with so kind of just dealing with that. Like yeah, when you yeah, go outside, you, know, you got to clear your driveway. It's not that. It's not that cold right now or that snowy, but there have been times when it's been negative, you know, 10, Ooh. and which means my garage means. is zero, you know, or maybe five. And I got to go out and I got to start up the snowblower. And then you go out and you have, you know, eight or 10, 12 inches of snow in your driveway. My driveway is 100 feet long. So that's about a one hour job. And, Yikes. you know. So Florida's looking great this time of year. Yeah. I honestly don't even, I can't even fathom that. Like the coldest I've ever been in is what, maybe? Like uh, Utah? When I 20s, just, 30s, maybe? 
Maybe. Like in New York, it doesn't even get, it gets in the single digits sometimes, maybe, but it's like probably 15 is the coldest, but that's a whole different story than sustained, you know, below zero and close to below zero temperatures. Yeah. That's intense. For sure. Well, let's get right into it. We're excited about our conversation today. And we always lead off with the question, what is the most critical problem you are currently trying to solve? Well, the most critical problem I'm trying to solve is, as I've told Danny, I'm trying to become harder to kill. Okay. And I'm not saying that I yeah. am hard to kill. I don't want that to come off as, as being overly badass. I'm just saying I'm harder to kill than I was yesterday. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that could be from disease. That could be from, um, you know, health conditions such as obesity, things like that. It could be, um, you know, from other people. I took up jujitsu. I'm terrible at it. Jiu-jitsu but I'm less it's harder when you're strong. It's very hard. But I'm less terrible than I was a week ago. <laughs> you know? So um I'm um, I'm getting choked out by people who weigh one seventy instead of people who weigh one forty. <laughs> it's humbling. So I'm moving in the right yeah. direction. <laughs> yeah, it's humbling. Yeah. That's why we put our boys in it. It's We're great. like, hey, listen, it's not about <laughs> it's not about size or no, definitely. And it not. teaches you humility, man. Like it does. You, it teaches you humility. You face adversity every day. I'm starting again in April. I already have a reminder in my phone because Robert is starting. And like, you know, I was considering it. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go all in with jujitsu and just commit to it, you know, because I did it from December of 2018 to March of 2020 and I was getting better. And then you know, my membership ran out, you know, finances. I wanted to make sure that the boys had what they needed because yeah. you know, it's expensive. Man. It is expensive. So, um, but I'm definitely ready to get back into that. Like I'm totally on the same page as you, man. Like I, I love that, but let's, let's give our readers a little background on Drew Beamer. Uh, first of all, why is Terrell Davis better than Deuce McAllister? No, I'm just kidding. Let's, uh, <laughs> Deuce Stanley, I think you meant right. <laughs> What'd you Deuce say? Staley. Well, I'm just talking about, oh, Deuce. I was thinking Deuce. Yeah, Deuce. Yeah. I forgot. Deuce Staley, not, not McAllister. Um, by the way, guys, this is because we used to play NFL 2K in the basement of our dorm. Um, and it was freaking awesome. <laughs> we're, 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 uh, what do you call it? Stiff arms were the, the best thing ever. The unstoppable stiff 2K. arm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, but yeah, talk a little bit about your upbringing, how our paths cross, and, you know, all the way until your creation of Condition 1. You know, what is it and what is your 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 mission with, with Condition 1? Sure. Uh, I grew up in a town called Haddonfield right outside of Philadelphia. Um, I would say a pretty normal upbringing. I had great parents, you know. Um, I think I was raised very well. Um, you know, they taught me things like respect and hard work and all that good stuff that stayed with me, you know, through everything I do. Um, after high school... I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was a mediocre student. Um, I didn't have a ton of choices as far as colleges went. And I wasn't even sure I wanted to keep playing football because my senior year was just a disaster. So my parents talked me into looking at prep schools and I looked at Petty. And when I went to visit Petty, um, the football coach, Coach De Laurentiis, met with me. And um, he talked to me about playing football for Petty. And I said, I got to be honest, I'm not even sure I want to keep playing football. 
And he said, well, then I got to be honest, you're not going to get into this school if you don't. So I said, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess I'm going to play football. Yep. So uh, that's where Danny and I met. Danny had come uh, the opposite direction, geographically anyway, and also football-wise. You were, um, what, the top running back in Miami-Dade as a senior? Yep. Yeah. Had some offers, but you really wanted to go to Columbia, right? Yep. So he was going there to, I guess, get good enough academic credentials to get into an Ivy League school. I was going there to just get any kind of credentials so I could get into a you know, decent school. I ended up going to the University of Richmond. I was on the team there for two years. Um, I ended up leaving school for personal reasons, but then going back at night while I worked during the day. Um, it was a great experience. I've been up in New Hampshire for 10 years now. I work in public affairs at a law firm. We do a little bit of lobbying, a little bit of public relations. And all along the way, and I've moved all over the country, I actually lived in Richmond, Virginia, when Danny lived in Richmond, Virginia. But we'd lost touch during that period of time of, I'm going to say, oh five, oh six, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah man. We oh, caught up after, you know, after the fact. Yeah. So I lived there. I lived in Louisiana for a while. I lived in Connecticut for about a year. I lived in Rhode Island. Um, one of the things I did every place I went is I would always seek out a good strength gym, usually a hardcore powerlifting gym, someplace where I was guaranteed to be the weakest person in the room. Um, because that's how you get stronger, right? I've also picked up a lot of different philosophies and a lot of different approaches to things like strength training and being a regular guy, you know, not a pro athlete or bodybuilder, not a, you know, um, Instagram celebrity yet anyway, <laughs> is I think a lot of what I do is I kind of speak towards what more regular people, you know, the 90, 95% of your meathead former athlete crowd is really looking for. Cause I think there's a lot of there's a lot of misinformation out there, you know, because certainly economic interests bleed into it, right? People yeah, trying to right. sell the newest thing or the newest diet. And um, <clears throat> some of that stuff's good. Some of that stuff's not good. But one of the things with uh, so much information that's a blessing and a curse is when you and I were in high school, we couldn't just look up, you know, the rocks program that he used to get ready for the movie Pain and Gain. Okay. We can do that now. Okay. So true. The bad news is with the increase in availability of information, you have an increase in experts, pseudo experts, um, people who just look good on Instagram, but don't really know what they're doing. You know, can't explain it to people. And um, it's made things overly complicated. So, you know, I've trained in Olympic style lifting, in powerlifting. I was never good at any of those things, by the way. I competed in strongman. Um, I was in one competition. I came in 10th out of 15, which was pretty good because I didn't have access to any of the implements before the actual contest. I showed up early <laughs> and practiced with the oh, yoke and that. the keg and stuff. Um, but yeah, I have, a, you know, I draw from a lot of diverse experiences and points of view, which is good because I can disagree with people while respecting them, you know? And um, and vice versa. So I, 
think there's something to be learned from almost any system out there, but I'm certainly not a zealot towards any one thing. I love that. I love that, dude. And and it's funny because like when, when I was in grad school, I um you know Mickey Mariotti came in and he was a high intensity guy, and like you know I'm in the beginning of my career and I'm all about you know at the time I was I was kind of conjugate, but I was also kind of you know just just a more I hate to say it, but like what I considered more sophisticated style of coaching and training. And um, it was just ignorance. All, all, that's all it was, was ignorance. Um, because, you know, I would see some of the things he did and it would be like train to failure and then fail like again and again and again and again. And um, one thing Coach Mariotti was really good at was he would bring all types of coaches in with different styles and he would have seminars and we would just do s- seminars over the weekend and he respected all of them. And I had a guy, um, what was Matt Delancey? He was the coach of all the Olympic sports. And he was like, look, man, you know, there's, there's no silver bullet. You know, the, the ultimate is basically getting your athletes to understand exactly what you want and executing it and getting that buy-in. And that's what coach Mariotti had, you know? So you got all these guys and Drew and I, we talk about this all the time, like on the phone, we'll talk about it, like how these guys will come in and either whether it's because of an agenda, because they want to seem smarter or they want to impress a client or they truly believe that this complicated new fitness trend or whatever is going to give them the results. Um, a lot of the time it doesn't make any sense. And it's like, they're putting the exercise or the style of training before the needs of the client. And it's just, you know, it's just, it, it doesn't make sense. So like now, obviously, as we learn more and more, I totally agree with what you said. And, and, um, but at the end, at the end, at the end of the day, like keeping it simple, you know, keeping it, and that's what you're really, really good at, and that's why I think a lot of people are gonna definitely, guys, you gotta follow condition one. Uh, that's W O N, like you win your conditioning. Oh, one. Um, and uh, and it's just it's really simple. Uh, we'll talk about all of the the things that he offers on his page, and we'll talk about his philosophy. Um, but let's talk a little bit about. Let's go back to you know, the fact that you and I, again, we've been doing this for so long, decades, right? We're students of the game. And so I think it's uh, important to talk a little bit about, especially because we have, you know, all these, these young bucks who don't really appreciate everyone who came before them. And they think that, you know, because they did a powerlifting meet or, or three powerlifting meets that they're now all of a sudden a powerlifting coach or, or all this. And, and like, you know, I used to get angry back in the day because I used to be like, well, they're taking my money, you know, like, but obviously that doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make sense because there's charlatans and everything, but, um, but let's talk about, you know, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your influences in the strength community, you know, for those who are interested in like learning the fundamentals, who are some of the people and some of the influences that have helped you kind of get to where you are? Sure. Um, I guess I'll start with people I've met yourself included, um, back in high school, um, when I met Danny Vega, I was just doing the bench press and curls workout because nobody had ever oh, you skip leg day? any strength and conditioning. And Danny at the time had a strength coach out of Miami who was writing us programs. So I was just doing whatever Danny was doing. And it was basically bodybuilding. Is that fair? Yeah. Was it bodybuilding? But yeah. when you're a high school athlete and you're 
your primary concern is getting bigger and stronger and adding muscle, bodybuilding isn't the worst thing in the world because you can always reprogram right when you get to college and become a little bit more fast twitch. So that was light years beyond anything I was doing on my own. Then, you know, in college, we had a okay strength and conditioning program. Uh, it probably would have been better suited for rugby than for football because it included a fair amount of intermediate distance running, like your one mile to two mile run. It included a fair amount of body weight training and um, a lot of um, stuff that you'd call like stability stuff. It was during what I call the stability craze of the early 2000s when everybody was saying, you know, you have to do bench press on a BOSU ball with 50 pounds. Oh, oh my gosh. You know, so, so we're doing partner assisted um, or partner resisted lateral raises, you know, <clears throat> um, and um, it was just a it was just a strange time for strength and conditioning in general. In fairness, our team won games by being in much better shape than everybody else. We won a lot of games in the fourth quarter. So um, we probably didn't have anybody on the team who benched over 400 pounds, which is fairly ridiculous when you look back at it now. But um, very good shape, um, very military style uh, training regimen, and then won a lot of games in the fourth quarter, ultimately won the Atlantic 10, and then made it to the semifinals in the one AA playoffs. This is when I was redshirted, by the way. So I was just eating, you know, ISO blocks all day long, you know, in practice on scout team. Uh, Somebody's got to do it. So after that, uh, when I was in Richmond, Virginia, I started training at a gym called the weight room and the weight room used to be really small. It's expanded into a very large professional facility now. And it was a place where hardcore power lifters lifted. And, um, I was not, and never have been a power lifter. I've looked like one at different points in time. You pick up a lot from training with people who are that strong. And this doesn't have to do with me specifically, but one of the anecdotes that I picked up from this gym that has stuck with me, because people always get into turf wars of geared powerlifting versus raw powerlifting, right? Is yeah. There was a guy there named uh, Nick Minetti, who at the time was the record holder in one of the federations, one of the more legitimate ones, for raw drug-tested powerlifting. And it was certified drug-free. And it was raw, like belt and wraps. And he was a super heavy and he totaled 2,100 pounds as a super heavy. And all the other guys would get into it raw versus geared. And this is better and that's better. And with this guy, one of the best raw power lifters in the whole country at the time had to say about it was he said, they're two completely different things. One person is just using different tools than the other person. He said, you wouldn't take a long distance runner and say that guy's raw, so his times are legit, but the long distance cyclist, he's cheating because he has a bike, you know? Right. And I so said, true. that's a really enlightened a good way for a raw power lifter, right, to look at this situation because he was somebody who very easily could have just crapped over everybody in triple ply. You know what I mean? Very easily. So from there, I went to a couple other places. I ended up working in Louisiana for a year um, and a half, 
And while I was there, I trained at the gym where um, Gail Hatch, the Olympic weightlifting coach, um, trained his lifters in Baton Rouge. And that was interesting. You know, I'm not really good at the Olympic lifts, um, but it's good to train things like jujitsu that you're not good at. I've gone to a handful of gyms up here. Concord, New Hampshire was very, very small as far as state capitals go. Not a lot of gyms. The place I go to now is called The Zoo. And it's um, it's fantastic because it's a combination of basically like a CrossFit gym with a powerlifting gym, with a bodybuilding gym, with a commercial gym. So they have a very big AstroTurf track with kegs and tires and prowlers. And they got one of those rack setups for CrossFit with, you know, a hundred pull-up bars and, you know, squat racks and stuff. And then they have monoliths and squat racks and Olympic platforms. And then they also have all the machines. So, you know, it's a really good place for what I'm doing now. And then of course, early this past year, um, in the springtime anyway, we were closed up from probably, I'm going to say maybe March, April, and most of May. I just worked out in my garage. And in New England, it's a perfect time to work out in your garage. I'd say you couldn't do it now. Uh, you could, but I'm not David Goggins. So <laughs> I only work out in and you don't degrees. have to. Yeah, I only work out in 70 degrees. You know, um, that's a card that I'm going to flip maybe a little bit down the uh, down the path. But no, yeah, it's, you know, it's 10 degrees outside right now. Brutal, man. That's brutal. And even in the summer, yeah, it gets up to, you know, 95 for a couple weeks. No, <laughs> for a couple weeks. Yeah, for a couple, for a couple weeks. weeks. <laughs> when does it start warming warming up? That's funny. Because for us, like, I totally forgot, like, winter. Probably. It's, it feels like it's over at this point. Oh, you think it's over? Yeah, 100%. Gosh, I was hoping we would get, like, one more wave. Everybody <laughs> jokes up here that New England, northern New England's gorgeous two seasons of the year, those seasons being spring and fall. And they also joke that we don't ever get those two seasons. It, yeah. You're like, if we had them. It skips from still snowing in, you know, April and, you know, and 40 in May to just like, Jeez. boom, 85, you know, and then the fall feels like it's two weeks long, you know. Yeah. And then it's winter. And then it's winter, you know. Well, let's talk a little bit about diet sure. now and nutrition because, you know, we love talking about that. So, you know, we understand that there are different ways of eating for different seasons. Even us, like we stick to keto and carnivore, but we still go along with the seasons and we'll find ourselves, you know, during these colder, <laughs> colder months, you know, eating some more carbs here and there. Oh, you mean the, the warmer months? Uh, no. <laughs> well, not really because I feel like I want like a hot soup or whatever. Oh, but, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, but for different seasons, different types of activities, and etc. But we also have overarching principles and what we call non-negotiables. Really, um, how would you describe your nutrition philosophy, and how are you currently eating to support your goals? Well, so you know, I was I was talking to Danny about this as an example, um, maybe a couple months ago, and I said if if I took Danny and I sent him out into the woods with a bunch of tools, and I said I want you to find a tree, it can be any tree. I want you to make a totem pole out of that tree. It can be anything. It can be an eagle. It can be a bear. Can, oh, I love this. Analogy. I don't care what it is, but you're going to make a totem pole. And it's not going to be great because you're not an artist, but it's going to be the best that you can do. Okay. 
people have the natural problem solving ability and the natural intuition to look at a tree and say, the first thing I have to do is I have to chop it down. Okay. And then maybe after it's on the ground, I sort of take big hacks at it with an ax and I make it sort of generally the shape I want it to be. And then way, way, way down the road, you know, you're etching the detail into the, the eyeball, you know, or you're putting the feather on the eagle. Um, but you don't walk right up to the tree when it's still in the ground with a scalpel and say, I need to carve, you know, the, the detail into the eagle feather, you know, and dieting is, I'd say it's simple, but it's not easy to be perfectly honest with you. I think it's simple and easy if you just know what you're doing and you make rules and you follow a plan. For me, that plan has always been some type of paleo. And I'm not saying people have to do that or they have to do keto or they have to do carnivore. I just think that some type of paleo is the base for almost any healthy diet. Because even if you're an athlete, like during rugby season, I would switch from a high fat paleo to a lower fat, higher carb paleo where I take out red meat. And most most of it, and I'd add in, you know, lean meat, but I'd also add in sweet potatoes, you know, and I'd only eat sweet potatoes on training days and game days. So regarding the tree that you're turning into the totem pole, you know, I came from a pretty good place about a year ago because I had, you know, 90 percent of, you know, my stuff squared away. I've been on paleo for eight years, nine years. Um, I've eliminated entire types of food out of my diet. That's one of the things I tell people is if you're an adult, and this comes later than with some people than others, it came fairly late with me, is you know your own tendencies and you know your own triggers, or at least you should. And if you don't, you really need to sit down and you need to do some self-reflecting and find out what those things are. Because when you ask yourself, honestly, are you the type of person who can eat two Oreos or drink two beers or eat one serving of whatever snack you like to eat? Because with me, the answer to most of those questions is no. So I choose to eat zero. My wife will have two Oreos or one cupcake, you know, and that's fantastic. I wish I had that level of discipline. And she would look at me and she would say, I wish I had the level of discipline to not eat you know, cookies at all. Any. So it's, it's different. One's not harder than the other. You just need to decide and figure out which one of those people you are. So for me, the final thing I had to do, and it was a big thing is I had to quit drinking alcohol. And one of the reasons why my drinking had gotten away from me was because, um, um, in my early thirties and when I was playing rugby, I could walk around at a fairly lean body weight based on activity level and based on the fact that if I only got my carbs from drinking light beer, then I was never like, you know, a can of light beer has like four or five grams of carbs. Okay. So if you have 10, you're at 50 grams, which is still by most standards of a low carb day. Right. So I could get away with that. Um, I'm not saying 10, but I'm saying I could get away <laughs> with drinking. Um, and then I had to look in the mirror and I had to say, you know, when you look at your diet and you look at your goals, what's standing in your way 
And are you going to take ownership of that? And for me, I just had to take ownership of that. And like I said, I'm not going to sit down and have two IPAs because I'm, you know, I wasn't drinking to enjoy, you know, the beer. I was just drinking out of habit, right? So, um, you know, so I think you really need, as far as diet goes, when you look at, you know, turning that tree into that totem pole is what are the big things that you can knock out like right away? And what I would tell somebody who isn't super, super overweight, but let's just say you're maybe 50 pounds overweight, like you're 250 and your healthy weight is 200, or maybe you're even 300 and you want to get down to 250. I would say, first of all, you got to, you got to go with some form of paleo or keto or something similar. And at a minimum, cut out bread and processed sugar. But then after that, multiply your calories by 15 times body weight and commit to actually tracking your food and eat that much for a month. And in a month, get on a scale. And if your scale's going down, if you're losing weight, then just keep doing what you're doing until the scale doesn't go down. And then maybe the next card you flip two or three months from now is you go down to 12 times body weight in calories. But I think with diet, and like what I did is I went from 275 in um, last February or March to by the end of this past year, I was 225. So I lost 50 pounds in a year eating 4,000 calories a day, all paleo, no alcohol, higher activity level. Um, and the point is, is that you need to flip cards one at a time because you're not going to wake up. If you're really, really out of shape, you're not just going to wake up and be David Goggins all of a sudden for Pete's sake. You know, you're talking about somebody who's in the highest tenth of a percent of motivated, dialed in alpha people out there. And it's great to watch videos if they get you fired up to go crush a workout from time to time. But at the end of the day, um, you need to try to figure out what's sustainable for you. And what's sustainable for you, I guarantee, is not eating 1,500 calories a day or doing slim fast or Weight Watchers. Because what's the off-ramp, right? What's the off-ramp? You're going you're gonna to lose your 50 pounds, um, and then you're going to put on 60 when you start eating normal again. So you just got to make a lifestyle change. And just to wrap that up, the final lifestyle change I had to make was alcohol. That's in the category with the, with the Oreo cookies and the bread. Oh, and one other thing too, talking about discipline, and one of the things I admire from the if it fits your macros crowd, but this also is where you see a lot of pitfalls from them, is they'll save up their calories because they know they're going to have a piece of pie with dinner. And they're like, I got 500 calories in the tank or 600. So I can have a piece of, you know, grandma's pumpkin pie. And then they eat that and they realize they can't only have one piece of pumpkin pie. And they go off the rails. Exactly. And when you're keto or paleo, it mitigates your ability to go off the rails. First of all, it also mitigates the damage that you inflict on yourself if you do go off the rails. Going off the rails for me, Thanksgiving, is like eating two pounds of brisket. Yes, yeah. exactly. and that's my only meal yeah. the whole day. So, four thousand calories. 
or 3,500 calories. So basically it's an intermittent fast. <laughs> you yeah, know? Exactly. exactly. That's off the rails. Off the rails on a normal day is I go to the grocery store and I buy a pint of keto halo top. Yep. And I eat the whole thing. Yep. Living on the edge. You know what I mean? That's. Yeah, yep. that's us. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's easier when you just eliminate entire categories of things from your diet. And a lot of people are going to listen to this and they're going to think that's completely insane. But to me, that's far less insane than saying, oh, I'm actually going to enjoy, you know, one serving of Lay's potato chips, you know, or two cookies. Yeah, it's not. No good. way. You know? Yeah, same thing with me, dude. Not interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. It, and same. honestly, it, the more like we would have a cheat day back in the day when we when we did that and it, it would become a cheat weekend and it would become a binge and then yeah because you know monday's coming so you're like shoving it in your mouth at all hours of the night because just for no reason at all just because yeah. monday's coming yeah and it was miserable and due to like and you don't lose weight no you don't lose weight my, plus like you know it's my um rule for a cheat is pretty simple is you need to be instinctive with it. And that's troublesome because a lot of people have bad instincts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My instinct for a cheat is, um, you know, I got up and went for a walk downtown, couple mile walk with my wife on a Sunday or Saturday, something like that. And we get downtown and I'm like having trouble standing up. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And you know, she's like, are you okay? And I said, I'm just really depleted. You know, I've been working out a lot. I haven't been really eating carbs. I probably didn't even eat a lot of fat the day before. You know, maybe I wasn't getting the electrolytes and the sodium. Something was off. And I was literally about to faint from walking. So I said, I need a cheeseburger. Okay. And so, you know, once every three or four months, I'll eat some kind of sandwich. And I ate the cheeseburger and it was like a performance enhancing drug. For me, yeah. you know, with flies. Exactly. But the rule for cheating with me is a cheat meal can be anything that a normal person would consider an actual meal of food. Not a whole pizza, not a sheet of brownies, but a cheat meal can be I'm going to go to, you know, five guys and order a burger and a large fries. That's a cheat meal. Okay. A cheat meal is I'm going to go to Pizza Hut, I'm going to eat, you know, four or five slices of pizza. Okay. That's a cheat meal. You know, when you look at Instagram, one of the things I think is funny, but it's, it's, it's kind of the worst form of hum, hum, excuse me, humble brag is the absurd cheat meals that like fitness bodybuilder celebrities eat. Oh, it's so absurd. Because first of all, they're probably not telling you that you know, like pharmaceutically what they're on. They're on insulin, yeah, they're That's on insulin one. and all these other things but it's also, that drive up their... It's also a humble yeah. brag where they're like, ha look at me. I can eat eight cheeseburgers, you know, and a dozen donuts. And I still have, you know, four and a half percent body fat. And I think a lot of people look at that, like normal people who just, you know, go to CrossFit or, you know, go to regular gym. And they're like, man, I dialed it in all week long. You know, I can eat a dozen donuts, you know, on, on Sunday and you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Bad <No>. idea. <laughs> Dude, it, it, it glorifies disordered eating, to be honest. Oh, like, yeah. You know, because, yeah. and, you know, first of all, Maura, that's her, her hunger 
nowadays is not that it's 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 like i need energy yes when you're saying that that's how i feel hunger these days it's not like that hangry feeling and that's what the the i wish like of course and you only know when you're on the paleo or like uh ketogenic side of things because when you are eating that way and you're eating bread and you're eating gluten and you're just if if it's your macros no matter what it is your hunger signals are wrong. They, they are there. They cannot be trusted. You yeah. feel that hunger, those like hunger pains in your stomach. I never feel that. I feel like how you felt where you're like, I'm going to pass out. I feel like I'm, I need some fuel because I feel like I don't have energy. So yeah, it's interesting you say that. And like, it's like those cheat weekends, it's not worth it. And what ends up happening to the normal person, like, and I wouldn't even consider us normal, but I wouldn't even recover until like Wednesday sometimes. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you don't even really lose weight. It would take me all the way up to Wednesday to start feeling somewhat normal. And like now it's almost Friday again. Yeah. Time to cheat. One of the things yeah, too and- that um that people need to be cognizant of too, especially with paleo, is that you can't just eat paleo. You have to eat in the spirit of the diet too. Okay? Yeah. Right. Is not because it's labeled paleo. In, it's a paleo fast food. In the spirit of fast, the diet, what I mean is if you're having a special occasion. And you, you know, you want to bring a dessert to Thanksgiving dinner that you're actually going to be able to enjoy. And maybe you make brownies out of, you know, raw cocoa and almond butter and mashed up bananas, right? And almond flour. Okay. Um, But if you think you can eat those all the time, you're horribly fooling yourself. And the other thing you need to worry about, or at least I need to worry about is because just because something's paleo does not mean that it's not a trigger food is for me. Almond butter is a trigger food. I can make a recipe that has almond butter in it. I will put a spoonful of almond butter in my uh, waffles, in my paleo waffles that I make, and that's fine. But if I eat one spoonful of almond butter out of the jar, then I'm going to eat the whole jar, you know? So that's another category of thing that you need to just say, you know. And the other thing, too, and this is going to come off as really antisocial, and it is, but I don't care, is don't share your food with people. You know, when I order food at a restaurant, I've made a deal with myself that I'm going to let myself eat all that food. Okay. And I said, it's like, if you were a smoker and you said, I'm only going to allow myself to smoke six cigarettes a day, that's it. Only six. And then somebody comes up to you. It could be some random person. It could be your wife. It could be anybody. And they say, Hey, could I have one of those cigarettes? You're like, hell no, you can't have one of these cigarettes. <laughs> I only get six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what I allow myself. Yeah. So what we do, you know, when my wife cooks is she immediately puts, uh, you know, five, six, eight, um, servings of leftovers in color coded containers that I know are mine in the fridge. And then those are my meals for the next four or five days, you know, are those color coded containers. So, you know, people will ask me, can I have one of your chicken wings? And I'm like, absolutely not. I go, we can put in another order for a five piece if you want, but you're not having one. Of mine. <laughs> you get it. You get it. Bro. Like, that's exactly. I will not split an appetizer because you're just setting yourself up for failure. At least I am is, you know, if you're like us, if you're like us where you have that. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I totally agree. Yeah. So, you know, that's just another thing. And, and people will say, you know, to a certain extent that, that people who think like you and me are probably just replacing one eating disorder with another eating disorder. And I would say, well, fine, who cares? It's a healthy one. It's yeah. you're putting I mean, fail safes in place 
to make sure that you don't fall into traps that you set for yourself. Okay. Yeah. The guy who knows he can't eat two Oreos knows he can't eat two Oreos and he still decides yeah. to go down that road. Yeah. Right. You know, it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, we're trying not to get pregnant. We'll play it by ear. You know, you say you play it by ear and all of a sudden you're going to get pregnant. You know, <laughs> you already knew that going into it. So, um, and, and one more thing, because this is something that Maura like was doing even in high school. And it's like, if you have, specific goals like there are only there's a finite uh, amount of resources you know willpower um you know decision making ability and sometimes if it's one of these goals that's kind of a stretch goal you might need to say hey i might not i won't be able to go to this event you know i won't be able to to to, to be here unless it's something you know important like you know, i'm not saying to you know, not, not be with people. Cause we always argue that, you know, relationships are, are pretty much the most important thing, you know, in this, in this plane, you know, on this existence. So, um, lots of, uh, you know, lots of pearls there, man. And I think, you know, a lot of people, again, it brings it down to like the, the simplifying it, you know, keeping it simple. You mentioned how like, okay, you know, you, you start off, you, you get rid of the processed sugars, you get rid of the stuff that that's masquerading as, as food. That's not food. And then maybe you lower your carbs and then maybe you add some activity, but you don't go, you know, hundred zero to a hundred right away. Because I always tell people like how many days, like, for example, like in a, in a console, how many days can you commit to lifting? Um, and how many days are you currently lifting? If it says that I haven't lifted in a while, I'm trying to get back into it. I always love that one. And they want to go six days a week. It's just like, why don't we start with two or three, Yeah, exactly. you know, and just, it's all about action. Like even Goggins, you mentioned Goggins and Goggins is like, it's, it's about taking action. Like if you watch a Goggins video and he said this too, like if you read this book and you get all motivated, that's just a little bandaid. Yeah. You know, when, when the weather's really cold and you want to go for that run, you're not going to rely on motivation. You're going to have to look at your sneakers and you're going to have to be like, I got to do this, you know, and, and that doesn't come from motivation. So you know, also, all, all these conversations. Also, what were you saying? I was saying also don't let the um the perfect be the enemy of the good. If it's cold yes. out and you're looking at those sneakers like David Goggins and you're like it's 10, 15 degrees outside, you're not it's not wasted if you just put those sneakers on, drive to the gym and run on a treadmill. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. Exactly. Yes. It's you better don't have than to nothing. be hundred percent Billy Badass because that's not no, sustainable. Exactly. You know, unless you're in that yep. top, you know, one tenth of one percent is if you can walk, if you just if you just walk for a half hour, then go do that. I see it all the yep. time. I'd say if I can't go to the gym and get in a real workout, I'm just going to do nothing. Yeah, you know? walk exactly. And now I say you got to go to the gym and go real workout. I'm just going to do some kettlebell swings in my garage on yep. Tabata intervals. You, you know, you're going to feel really good after. You're going to you're going to you're going to get something in. Um, and again, I think this, this principle, even in David Goggins book, we keep bringing him up, but like, I just, I keep thinking about one of the challenges is like do 5% more next week and then do 5% more the week after that. You don't have to do what he did and run on broken legs, you know, <laughs> or, or, or sign up for a hundred mile race, having never even done a marathon, you know? Um, he's like, I don't recommend that, but you know, you and I, we've talked about training philosophy and nutrition, but I think 
one of the things I love and that I think you really understand is the value of simplicity, scaling training to different people, regardless of the latest, you know, shiny objects and fitness trends. So this to me is what makes a good coach. And I, I, I just picked up a client who has been with some of the big names and I'm just like, really, man, that's what that person said. And like, and they'll talk to the person from a nutrition standpoint and they'll say, you know, I, I don't do well with grains. And then all of a sudden the person's adding, you know, um, bagels to their post-workout. And, you know, he was three months with this person and he was like, well, what if I just do this? And the coach would, would be like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then he's like, after a while, he's like, I, I realized like, I don't need this person, you know? So a good coach is someone who can really explain the value of an exercise and, and, you know, give them something that they can replicate on their own. You, you and I, I was, I was going on a run the other day and we talked about this. Um, so like explain to our listeners, you know, how you structure your training and, you know, how, you know, you kind of explain it to the people that you help, because you know, we all have different goals, but again, it comes back to having principles. So you have like a set of movements you do and you kind of, I love that because it, it doesn't matter if you're at a gym, if you're at home. Um, so yeah, talk a little bit about that. Michael, you know, you know, the old saying about teaching a man to fish, right? Is I feel yep. like a lot of personal trainers and dietitians would rather just give you fish because then you need to keep coming back. Yep. Right. Or exactly. more specifically, they want to sell you fish, right? Um, and what I want to do is I want to prepare people to do all this stuff on their own. You know, um, I don't know if that's a sustainable business model or not, but <laughs> the, um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is with a lot of former athletes, even very high level collegiate athletes who are now 30 to 40 years old, there are a lot of them out there who retained virtually no information from being in a division one um, strength and conditioning program, which is remarkable to me because I just pick up on a lot of things through observation. Um, but there's a very large percentage of the strength and conditioning trainee crowd who literally depends on you handing them that it used to be a paper booklet. Obviously, it's probably on an iPad now, but handing you that workout or emailing you that workout or going in the app and saying, do eight reps at whatever percent and then do, you know, and but they don't retain any of that information. So one of the things that I tell people is, first of all, don't major in the minors. People will look up a workout program, you know, that the Philadelphia Eagles do or the New Zealand All Blacks do. And you'll see a guy who's a rugby player who, who's maybe 30, 35 years old, plays men's club rugby. And, you know, he's out there doing speed ladder work, you know, but he's overweight and runs, you know, a 5, 540 or something. And you'll say to that person, you're majoring in the minors. You shouldn't be wasting your time on speed ladder work. You should be hammering anaerobic conditioning and just basic strength, basic strength movements. And they'll say, well, you don't know anything. I looked up the New Zealand All Blacks workout and they use speed ladders. And I say, <laughs> they're fine tuning. <laughs> they're elite athletes who exactly. are fine tuning. They're like the bodybuilder who... Um, you know, is uh, timing up when they take their BCAAs or their, you know, or their post-workout nutrition, you know, down to the minute, right? But the kid at the gym you go to, that's all he focuses on. You know, he says, you know, Phil Heath takes BCAAs three and a half minutes after his final set. <laughs> 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 right? So and you're like, 
kid, forget all, literally forget all that. When you're getting ready for the Olympia, then, you know, ask me again then, or more specifically, find a coach who knows about this sort of thing. But as far as majoring in the minors goes, there's a lot of it because it's easier to do than doing the things that are hard. It's easier for me to say, you know, oh, I need to get quicker feet, so I'm going to do a speed ladder. You, you know what's going to get you quicker feet? Not being overweight. Having a high anaerobic threshold to where even if you're kind of slow, you can maintain 80 to 85% for an entire match, right? Um, so with the actual training that I do, and when you talk about concepts, it's like, what do you need to do? As I say, you need to squat, you need to hinge, you need to press, and you need to pull. And at a minimum, I would say you need to do all those in equal quantities. But in reality, you need to squat as much as you hinge, and you need to press as much as you pull. And you break it down further, you have horizontal and vertical pressing, obviously. You have horizontal and vertical pulling. And if you want to break down squatting and hinging further, I'll say a lunge goes in with squats because it's quad dominant. A single leg, um, you know, unilateral Romanian deadlift, that's also a hinge, you know. But um, so you should probably do equal amounts of unilateral work, too. But literally, when I was training in my garage, I had a sandbag and a weight vest and a Tabata timer, and I would do squats, Romanian deadlifts, push-ups, and sandbag pendle rows. And that's it. And loaded carries with buckets of rocks. But as far as the weight, weight room exercises, push-up, pendle row. Romanian deadlift, squat. And that's really all you need. And that's not all Danny Vegan needs. That's not all I need anymore. But that's all that guy trying to get by training at home for a few months while the gym's closed needs. That's what the guy or girl trying to get into shape to look better at the beach really needs. And the answer to every question you have is always going to be answered by one of those things. They're going to say, how do I get better quad sweep? You know, you need to squat more, right? <laughs> how do you, how do I get, you know, how do I bring up my lats? You need to, you need to pull more, you know, you know, and even people get caught up in, in your press. We had this discussion, you and me, um, either in person or via Instagram, where we said, if you had could only do four exercises for the rest of your life, which you would do. And for the press, I said, I would do a TRX push up. And you said you'd do a shoulder press. And I like shoulder presses more. Um, but the TRX push-up, I like because it's also kind of an ab exercise, right? It's a plank. Yeah, it's a better, better ROI. You get a better ROI for sure. So, um, but you can have those sort of, you know, semantical debates. But at the end of the day, the answer to every single one of those questions is going to be, you need to squat, you need to hinge, you need to press, and you need to pull. Um and that's what I do. So when I structure my week, um, I will do a couple different ways. I'll have horizontal push-pull day, which is benching and rowing, basically, right? And then I'll have uh, vertical push-pull day, same idea. And then I have squat day and I have hinge day. That'd be a four a four day a four way split. The reason I structure it that way is because if you do the typical bro split. 
first of all, you're going to skip legs day because that's the end of the week. <laughs> yeah, they always yeah. play Friday. We talked about that the other day. <laughs> the other thing is you're going to come out of the gates. You know, maybe you watched a David Goggins video over the weekend or something. You're fired up. Monday's universal <laughs> bench press day. You rip the doors off the gym. You do 50 sets of chest, you know, and tries. And then maybe on Wednesday, when back day comes around, you're a little hungover or you got to work out quick because, you know, your wife needs you home. So you do like three sets of face pulls, right? Face pulls. <laughs> <laughs> For back day. Oh it's a to be back. That's a debate. That's a hill I'm willing to die on. Is rear yeah, really. is a pull. So it's, it's back. Yeah, right? yeah. I consider that back but, day too. You know, <laughs> You do three sets of face pulls and you're gone. You just did 40 sets of bench, three sets of face pulls. And you didn't even mention the fact that you also have shoulders day, which is also pressing, right? Mostly. So at a bare minimum, if you do horizontal push pull day and you're like, I got to get out of here quick. Like, I don't have time. You do five sets of bench, five sets of T-bar rows, walk out the door. Okay. You didn't kill it. You know, you're, you're not going to brag about that workout, but you did everything you absolutely have to do. And you did it in equal proportions. So that's why I structure it that way. The way I do it now is I'm adding in, I always say if something's important enough, it's important enough to have its own day or its own workout. So my workout now is upper body day, lower body day, abs day, loaded carries day, hit conditioning day, and then steady state conditioning day. And they're not in those orders and it doesn't always come out to days because I can do one in the morning and one at night. You know, if, if I know I'm going to be gone for a couple of days, I can double up the system for upper body day is I do in this order, four exercises in this order until i feel like I've done enough, a bench, then I row, then I shoulder press, then I do a pull up or a lat pull down. And if I make it through that cycle once, then, like I said, I did everything I needed to do, right? But if I'm feeling ambitious, you know, I'll do bench, I'll do Klokov, I'll do pull-up, I'll do a pendlay row. Then I go back through, I'll do a machine chest press, machine row, you know, machine shoulder, um, machine pull-down. And then when I go back around the final time, maybe the chest is just a fly, the shoulder is a lateral raise, the rear delt or the or the horizontal pull, if you will, is a face pull or a rear delt fly or a band pull apart even. And the vertical pull is like a straight arm lat pull down, you know, and sometimes I don't even get that far, you know, and then on lower body day, I start out squatting, then I do a deadlift, then I do a lunge. Then I do a unilateral hinge, and then I go through that cycle again. So by the end, I'm doing, you know, hack squats, supersetted with, uh, you know, with uh, band pull-throughs or something like that, you know. And then carries day is all carries, all on a timer. Um, Steady state day explains itself either a really long rock or a kind of long run. And then hit day is I just go by instinct. I do bike sprints, rower sprints, wall balls, battle rope, um, med ball slams, stuff like that. 
And like I said, it's great to be instinctive, but only if you have good instincts. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes I agree. I've told people before, I've said I've gone into the gym, I've put 135 on a barbell, I've squatted it for a warm-up set, and I've said, Nope. And I've walked right out the door. Okay. And I said, because I'm not right in the head or physically, I'm not going to give this workout its due. I'm going to go home and reload and get my head right. I'm going to come back tomorrow. And what people do when they hear that is they'll do that like once a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Got to be honest with yourself. And I'm like, I do that like once, once, like literally once a year, you know, but I'll go in and I'll say, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do this, you know, because I'm, I'm not willing to put in the work, you know? And like I said, right. it's, you know, I'm not David Goggins. So I will keep going back to him, but I just want to, I want to drive that home because everybody knows the videos and everybody, he hikes yeah. up yeah. Yeah. because he's yeah, a remarkable he human being and one of the most motivating people out there. But what you need to realize is that me and you are not him. So we need to do what's practical yeah. for us, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, you're talking about, first of all, I love this because, you know, this is what I had this foundation with my first coach. Like it was like, you know, no, put the curls down. Don't even touch that until you figure out how to squat. Don't even add weight until you know how to. And, um, you know, Brian Carroll, my powerlifting mentor was like, look, every single time you get under that bar, whether it's an empty bar or, you know, whether it's a warm up or whether it's a max attempt, you got to go with aggression or you're going to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And like, if I'm feeling something like yesterday, I was doing deadlifts um, and it wasn't even heavy. I was no, doing, like, yeah. And I was doing sets of three at 415. That's all I was doing, you know, kind of a speed thing. And on my last set on the second one, because my hips are tight right now, I had, I had a strained uh, QL on my left side uh, a few weeks back. And I kind of felt the last set before I was, it was, five sets of three, I think. And the fourth set, I felt a little bit of something. And then on the, on the fifth set, I just did two reps and I walked away, you know? Um, but again, you got to be honest with yourself. Like you said, you can't just, you know, I'm not feeling it today. No, that's, you know, you, you, you're copping out. So you also can't, um, you also can't just always say like, I've also said, I've I've put that 135 on my back a couple of times. And I've said, I'm not going to do it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go do legs, you know, leg press or hack squats instead. And that's fine. Yes, that's what I usually do. Sometimes, you know what I mean? But again, that's not, if you're doing that all the time, you know, you're, you're absolutely fooling yourself. And there are no mandatory exercises. That's not really what I'm saying. I'm just saying that people will use any excuse to avoid doing things that are hard. Exactly. You know, and don't let those kind of things be an excuse to avoid things that are hard. Use your instincts as an excuse to, you know, sort of train more smart, I guess is, is how I'd put it. Yeah. Like Ben, you know, Ben Pekulski my buddy, he's like, you know, when you're young, you train with your balls. When you're, when you're older, you train with your brain. And like, <laughs> you know, so there's you, some of the, the, the benefits. And I know a lot of the, you know, my buddy, Terry, he's the, um, he's the chaplain for the dolphins. And he's like, a lot of these guys who've been in there, you know, we're talking about eight to 10 years and plus they're not putting bars on their back. And that makes sense, you know, cause when you take, a, you take out a stability component out of something and you, you know, your, your livelihood is dependent on it. You know, you, you 
will protect yourself. You'll still keep the musculature and all that stuff. You need to have that structural integrity. That's why, you know, you, you do these things. But when you have a base like that, again, we're talking about people who are high performance machines. If you can't, if you don't have the trunk stability and everything starts in the trunk, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to just get by getting on leg presses and getting on hack squats and stuff. They're great movements. Um, you know, and then again, some people have long femurs and, and, you know, that, that, that kind of sucks. <laughs> I have long femurs, you know, so it's like, it's a tall it, guy it, it does make so, I mean, you hear that a lot, you know, it's yeah. Yeah. But then he like for deadlifting, it's like not even fair. He barely bends down because his arms <laughs> are like orangutan yeah. arms. So his range of motion is so small compared to me. I'm like the total opposite, like long torso. Yeah. I have to sumo deadlift. Like when we, when Travis and I front squat, like his butt is touching his heels. Oh no, that no. But then when I Danny's when like, I deadlift, you're almost there. You're almost there. Come yeah. on, you could do it. <laughs> yeah, and 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 when I deadlift though, Travis is like, oh, you're so strong. I'm like, man, I'm built to pull. And, yeah, you know, you, you, barely you have shorter move. femurs. You're gonna yeah. swap it. I learned a lot yeah. of that the hard way because I had a hernia repair and then I had a hernia oh, wow. repair repair. Wow, well, <laughs> um, I think. And one of the things they told me when um when I you know walked out of the you know the the doctor's office and went for the follow-ups is um they said never lift more than 50 pounds again for the rest of your life, which is total nonsense because if you even said that yeah. statement, that means that in my opinion you have an insufficient foundation of knowledge because there's no yeah. such thing as lifting 50 pounds. I mean, in absolute terms there is, but a 50 pound shoulder raise is different than a 50 pound goblet squat. Okay. Those are two completely oh, different sure. leverages, two completely different strains on your body. The 50 pound shoulder raise, you're a complete savage 50 pound goblet squat, pretty light. Right. Um, right. So you, when I went to uh, PT, um, you know, they had me do a lot of like leg raises and flutter kicks and stuff. And they were like, but don't lift heavy, like ever. Okay. Ever again. Um, and then they gave me the whole sort of condescending, do you make money from lifting weights? Are you a professional athlete? You know, you don't have to do this. Why, why would you do something if you don't have to do it? So I sought out the advice of, um, actually an old coach of mine. He's an interesting guy. Um, my linebacker coach at the University of Richmond is this guy named Matt Rhodes, who um, is a contributor. Matt Rhodes, to all yeah, 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 yeah. I know Matt Rhodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was uh, he was tall and thin back then. Um, you know, he was in his early twenties, probably. And then he, um, I think, he met Vincent Desenzo, and um, oh, yeah. he became uh, like a heavy or a super heavyweight powerlifter, and. Um, I remember emailing him um, and just saying, you know, do you have any experience with this? And his advice to me was, he said, you need to work. If you're going to get strong again and injury free, you need to work on it's intra or inter abdominal pressure. Intra. intra. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's speaking my language right now. Because, you know, you're blowing up the <laughs> balloon, right? Yeah. If you only ever do leg raises and flutter kicks for your abs and then your lower body component is all leg presses, um, you know, then you're, you're never going to accomplish that. Um, and he was right. You know, so I started really, really light again. And bear in mind, I was talking to him like five years after the surgery. I mean, I had gone through five or so years of just tearing scar tissue, you know, 
there were some mornings I wouldn't be able to stand up straight, you know, cause I'd kind of be heeled over in sort of a hunched position. Um, so that was a complete game changer, literally squatting and deadlifting again in my late twenties and early thirties was the single best thing I did for overall strength and overall health and injury prevention. This was all while I was playing rugby too. So, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff was, was just making me healthier, you know, injury free all around. Love it. Yeah. I love it. So, you know, we're kind of continuing on about, you know, the topic of doing hard things, but you know, Danny told me about your mission for 2021 and we absolutely love it because it focuses on resilience, you know, versus avoidance. So what do you mean with this whole concept of becoming harder to kill? You did mention it at the beginning, but what do you really mean by it? Yeah, because it's several areas, right? Several areas. Well, I think I, it may have come up in a conversation with Danny or maybe another friend of mine. I don't remember when. when I know I you mentioned it. it to me before. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of the things that happened in 2020 is um, my father passed away. And I think I told Danny about this. I don't remember. Um, he... He did not die from COVID, but I think it's probably fair to say he died because of COVID, meaning that the um, medical system and the hospital system, at least in New Jersey where he lived, was stretched pretty thin, pretty close to the brink from this whole thing. Um, And, you know, that was sort of one of the things that I'd already, you know, I'd already stopped drinking by that point in time. I'd already, you know, lost probably... He passed away in July, so it's probably halfway. I'd probably lost, you know, 25, 30 pounds. It was down from 275 to 250. When that happened, it was another one of those moments, kind of like when the pandemic hit, where I said, I have to wire everything tighter now because the chance of backsliding really, really far is is very good. Like, I had quit drinking – before the pandemic, I'm going to say like January or February of last year. And I didn't, I didn't say I'm going to quit. I just said, I'm not going to drink for a week or whatever. And then after a week I said, Hey, you know, um, I feel better. I'm doing more cardio. Um, you know, I have more energy, you know? Um, so I just kind of wrote it out. And then once I got to the one month mark, I was like, well, why not just keep, you know, just keep doing this. So, um, when my father passed away, it just sort of further, you know, um, um, sort of tested my resolve. And I said, you know, this is another one of those times when a lot of people out there um, would use this as an opportunity to, I don't want to necessarily say have a victim mindset, but they would use it as an excuse to say, you know, it's okay if I just start drinking again, you know, because, um, you know, I mean, you know, we had a toast. We weren't allowed to have a funeral um, in New Jersey, but we had a, a get together in uh, my brother's backyard and um, some family friends and I had a toast. And um, I remember they were like, you know, just have one, just literally have one. And I was like, I'm not I'm not going to do it, you know, because, yeah. you know, I know the cost. Um, yeah. One of the things I would do that I still do is um, I keep one tall boy of Coors Light in my fridge at all times. So when I open up my fridge, I see the tall boy at Coors Light and I know there's no such thing as one, right? So that tall boy at Coors Light is sitting there mocking me, you know, 
And I look at it and I'm like, not today, Coors Light. Nope. Do it with the peanut butter, Danny. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to defeat you, you know? Um, so the harder to kill thing, I mean, that, that comes in a, in a variety of different, you know, it manifests itself in a variety of different things. I'm not saying that I'm some, you know, prepper or anything like that, but I, I have taken an increased interest in, um, preparing for, um, you know, different scenarios. I mean, one of those, yeah, the pandemic is, as far as, um, you know, pandemics go, I think we probably, um, had it fairly good in that, you know, we live in a capitalist society, the market adjusted, the delivery system of goods and services by and large went off uninterrupted. You could go into a Sam's club Mm -hmm. in the middle of the thing and there were pallets of potato chips and, you know, barrels of Cheetos and beer and anything you needed. There was never a shortage of anything other than toilet paper. Uh, (laughs) But it does get you thinking that, you know, how close were we to actually having a major disruption of some kind, right? Um, Correct. So it's important to be more self-sufficient. And a lot of people, even hunters and sportsmen and people who are tactical shooters or preppers or anything like that, will say, yeah, I put in time at the range and, you know, I have a stash of MREs in my basement, but they're in terrible shape. You know what I mean? Um and it's not an all or none proposition. I think the way I looked at it was I need to be healthier. You know, being strong and fat isn't going to save your life, right? Yeah. Probably not. Um, so lose weight, better shape, focus more on relative strength and particularly anaerobic conditioning. Also a lot of rocking thrown in. I have a buddy who would go on um, – we only did it a couple times when the weather got bad, but um, we'd go on long rocks where we'd put 50 pound vest, 50 pound pack. So a hundred pounds and, you know, rock for like four hours, five hours um, on trails in the, in the mountains and the woods and stuff, you know, and then you have your overall health um, dialing in your diet. Um, that could be just eating healthier. Like we talked about before, it could be exercising more. Um, and then with me too, is um, putting in some range time. If you're going to own firearms, you should be able to use them. You know, you should be proficient with them. Um, And then the other thing too was um, the same buddy of mine who I go rucking with talked me into taking jujitsu. You know, that's like deep jumping into the deep end of the swimming pool with ankle weights on because you realize immediately you're like, Holy crap, if I ran into somebody on the street who knew jujitsu, I wouldn't be able to defend myself. Not yet. Anyway, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it recalibrates your perspective on how resilient you think you are when you start doing jujitsu and you say, like, all the stuff I learned in Taekwondo class as a kid, that's more or less completely worthless. (laughs) Yeah. 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 The other guy knows jujitsu, you know? Yep. So. That was the whole thing. And the most important thing is, you know, a a buddy of mine said, he said, you know, you're hard to kill. And I said, I'm not hard to kill. I'm harder to kill than I was yesterday. And that's the whole point is if you're 300 pounds, you know, again, you don't have to turn into David Goggins. You just have to be harder to kill slightly than you were yesterday. And if you follow that trajectory, 
eventually you'll get to where you're going. But I mean, being, being harder to kill might mean you run a 15 minute mile, you know, and in a month you run a 14 minute mile, Yep. you know, I mean, that's an improvement. That's a huge improvement. Um, and then the other thing too, is, you know, when you look at your family and I'm not a parent yet, but I hope to be one before long is when you look at your family, your wife, you want to have kids, how is your lifestyle potentially going to impact them moving forward? And that could be drinking alcohol. Okay. Everybody has a story about some relative where alcohol had some sort of impact on their life. It could have made them more hard to deal with. It could have made them abusive. It could have just made them lazy. It could be your physical health. You know, do you want to live long enough to see grandchildren? You know, do you want to be healthy enough when you're 80 or 85 to be able to play with your grandchildren? You know, I think one of the blessings that we have that our parents' generation didn't have, so we have a higher level of understanding about the long-term effects of exercise on things like bone density. You know, I'm going to be really curious to see when you and I are 85 years old, Maybe not 85, but let's just say, you know, 75 or something. If we can still maintain a fairly high level of activity relative to what 75 and 80 year olds maintain today, you know, because it used to be you work a hard job. So you're in shape when you're in your 20s and 30s, but then you retire, you know, 55. Right. And then you don't do anything for the next 30 years physically, you know. You weren't lifting weights, you weren't exercising, so you become frail. Will you and I yep. be frail when we're 85? I, I don't know, but I, I doubt it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I doubt it. Yeah. Dude, um, man, there's well, so we've much. Seen it. Like, who's Mike Muscle's wife, Deanna? Like, I don't know how old she is, but they she did she did an experiment and she had a bone density. A test or what is it like an MRI done? She had a full body MRI. A full body MRI done, and the doctor was in shock. He was like, "Your bone density is that of like a teenager or something." Yeah. And she's got to be, I don't know, I want to. She's super lean. She's so yeah, but she's so strong. And yeah, healthy. yeah, super like, strong. It matters. Like it, it matters. It does, and and like that's where I tell my dad, like, go for your daily walk. Yeah. Do the sauna. Like those are the little decisions every single day. And I love the message here, man. Like yeah. first of all. You've come so far. I remember like five, 10 years ago talking to you and it was just kind of like a, it was like a, an occupational hazard. It's like, I got to entertain people. You know, it's part of what I do is, is we go and we have drinks, you know, and, and like you can say that and it's a perfectly logical excuse, but you know, you decided that, that you just made that decision. I had a guy, you mentioned the, the, the tall boy. I know a guy who was addicted to methamphetamine and he had a bag, dude, a bag of meth for a month. That's tough. Especially that's like what the worst recovery rate is meth. Yeah. But he had it, you know, his brother's still, still hooked, you know, living in a van, you know, he's like, just stay in my, stay on my property. At least, you know, you, you know, you're safe, but that's, that's exposure therapy. And that's that same, you know, harder to kill thing. I don't know about Um, meth. But, you know, real quick, <laughs> about meth, fortunately, but um, I had a brother, a stepbrother, but, you know, our parents were married for uh, 20 years, over 20 years. So he was a brother and he died of a drug overdose. He was an opioid addict. He died of a drug overdose in 2012. Wow. 
And so I know what real actual addiction looks like. Okay. I know people in my life who have tried to quit alcohol even, or even smoking cigarettes and go through holy hell and just can't do it. So I'm not talking about those people right now, but in my category of drinking, and I feel like the people, most of the people out there who just drink every day or are doing something destructive every day, calling themselves an addict to a certain extent can be a little bit of a cop-out because you're saying it's not a decision, it's just who I'm, I was destined to be, right? Yeah, and then you don't do the work that actually, because the addiction is just a, it's just a symptom of the sickness, the real sickness that's happening inside. And like, you know, some people need inpatient, you know, they need that 60 or 90 days. Um, Some people people just need to take ownership, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to take ownership no matter what, no matter what course you take, no matter, you know, how you fix it. At the end of the day, no one, the worst of the worst, you know, most hooked addict is going to eventually have to have some responsibility. Yeah. Um, and that's part of what they do. Like they break you down so you can realize like you're not as special as you think you are. Um, I love the the fact you mentioned, you know, your dad's death and and like, it doesn't make sense to me now. Obviously it's it hasn't always been this way, but it's like, why would you use a tragic event as an excuse to, to practice self-destructive behavior? You know, like, and a lot of people say, well, I deserve this. Well, you deserve well, terrible. I think it's more of a coping thing. Yeah. It's but numbing. then. Yeah, it is. It is. It's numbing. But then it's like, if you really know already, it's like, if you know, you know that it's self-destructive. You know that it's going to be. Of all the inspirational videos. Of all the inspirational um, videos out there, and a lot of them are, you know, good for just going into the gym and getting fired up or like before a game or whatever, yeah. but it's not sustainable, right? The one that's yep. sustainable yeah. for me, meaning actually had a lifestyle change is the video yeah. good by Jocko. Oh, oh I love yeah. that one. Great because video. I'm not saying that anything that happened to anybody in 2020 is good. And that's yeah. taken out of context. That would, that would sound bad because you'd say, it's not good that people died. It's not good that, you know, we went through a pandemic. None of that stuff is good. But at the same time, you have to be able to look at things after the bad event happens or while it's happening. And you have to say, there's some good in here somewhere for me yeah. is if somebody died um, because they were unhealthy or something, then hopefully that leads you to decide to be more healthy, you know? Yep. Right. So I agree. Yeah. And that's, that's like wake up calls are there for a reason and we need to like be conscious of them and we need to like, it's better to be, Oh, what am I going to do with this extra ammo? You know, like I'm not telling people to to hoard ammo, especially because it's come on, man. Like we all need ammo. Don't <laughs> you know? Like be nice. You know, <laughs> don't don't hoard the the toilet paper. But you know, buy a little bit of extra here, a little bit of extra there, without being too greedy. And and you know, and it's funny you mentioned the one the one more thing before we you know we we finish this is like you you talk about like even the, in the prepper world. Like I don't know if it was you, Drew, or if it was someone else who told me like they had a truck full of ammo and guns and they're like 300 plus pounds and yeah. they got to walk somewhere like, and they had to leave the truck chasing you like, it's like <laughs> dude, you're not you won't even make it to your truck you're done dude like you you know you you're lost done. all this prepping that you did and you have all it's these so food stores and you you know you got it all down but like 
if you had to actually go somewhere and you had to ruck or you had to, you know, oh, yeah. you know, take a pack full of stuff, you, you, you wouldn't last. Dead, you gotta yeah, yeah, sometimes Zombies. you got to run. Yeah, there's <laughs> you know, a huge, I'm, I'm happy to see fitness, kind of CrossFit style fitness bleed into the tactical crowd and vice yeah. versa. Yeah. You look at the Tim Kennedys yep. out there and, you know, the, yep. the tactical games. It's nice to see that nexus of sort of your functional fitness with your tactical crowd because you know even now like if you go to the range it's it's by and large a bunch of overweight guys with like a thousand dollars worth of tactical gear right and <laughs> yeah you know really you should have cheap gear but your your body should be the thing that's expensive right <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. yep i love that i love yeah. that i function you know yeah your your optic is not what makes you a good shooter $3,000 optic. I don't like optics at all because it's something that can break. You know what yeah, I mean? What about for a rifle, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could always like with, with, with the regular, you know, but yeah. So dude, so let me ask you one more thing. Like what, is there anything that you're currently working on and just kind of, uh, we know the condition one, is there anywhere else online where people can find out more about you? Well, on Twitter, I'm just Drew Beamer. I don't put any fitness stuff out there though. It's just, you know, sort of, retweeting political things and you know <laughs> you know um what am i working on now you know being a better husband you know that's that's, that's a struggle i got a lot of work to do <laughs> in that regard same um same. you know and just like i said being becoming harder to kill and that's a tough path too you know one of the things yep. that um i'll say to people is you're not competing with you know somebody at the gym or somebody on TV or Instagram, you're competing with yourself from yesterday. That's right. That's it. You know, and as long as you're, you know, moving in the right direction with that, they don't have to be big steps. They can just be, they can just be steps. You know, you know, if it takes me a minute before I get choked out instead of 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Or what if, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you can just say, look, my goal this time around is to pass his guard or to not let him pass my guard. Right. You know, like that's what I'm going to focus on today. And if right. I get that goal accomplished with, you know, blue belt, purple belt, whoever it is that I go against, that's a freaking win. You yeah. know, like you might've gotten submitted five times, but like that one skill that you were focused on that day, you were the best guard passer, sweeper, whatever <laughs> it was that you were doing that day. So bro, Great having you all, man. So I freaking love you. it, bro. I, I want more people to know about you, man, because it's uh we've had a long friendship, man, and, and I just I love the way you think. I feel, I feel like we're so alike, and we got to see each other in person soon. Good deal. Come to Florida. I'll come down there. Yeah. Well, we can go. We can go. We can go in early August. Well, you can come yeah, up here in like, like, summer. And go to I wouldn't mind going yeah, in the summer. Yeah, I actually feel like there's probably some. My kids would probably love it. Oh, they would. Like, you have nature stuff. You have gorgeous kids too, by the way adorable kids thank you thanks bro that's the other thing you, you. gotta meet them yeah yeah you gotta meet the boys they are boy boys they're just they're awesome yeah. well, <laughs> thanks buddy Chicharrones. thanks so much for coming <laughs> Chicharrones. Chicharrones. that's exactly what they are Chicharrones. that's what they are yeah <laughs> thanks bro. all right i'll talk to you later